In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, and former Wisconsin fullback, Matt Bernstein, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, this is the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Zach Heilprin, no Matt Bernstein. Uh, he'll be joining us here in the fall again, but uh, plenty of guests to make up for him, including the Wisconsin State Journal's Jason Galloway, the Athletics' Jesse Temple, BadgerBlitz.com's John Veldheis, and Bucky's fifth quarter slash guy who posts his benching on social media <laughs> slash WWE All-Star Jake Kokorowski. How you doing? Hi. Yeah, Thank you. you is great? that true, yeah. by the way? I, I, I appreciate it. I may have missed that. that. Is that true that he posts his bench press numbers? He does. And he, posts video, and he posts video as well. I did it once, and it was three plates on a bench. Okay? And, it wasn't, and it wasn't just once, because it was also, you talked about your leg, didn't you do like the deadlift? And you, you That po- was you last week. This is like the last time. I've done it twice in my life. Was this it, is why well, I'm okay, not it's just maybe, maybe three times when I did like leg press back like a year ago, but that's it. Is that worse than wrestling tweets for you? Ooh. They're on the same level. They're on the same level. <laughs> Maybe a little bit more because of his caption. What was the caption? What? This most recent caption. What? Oh, what? It was It was doing the whole joking thing. No, that, no, go ahead and just finish. Well, it was like, <laughs> it was a feeling cued, might bench 315, might delete, I don't know. That's what I said. It was that one instant. It's the one thing that one, I, I am a man of Instagram where I enjoy joking about certain uh, memes that are being posted and that was my it's my shtick it's, it's my called the hum, it's called a humble break jake and there wasn't a whole lot of humble to it no no um, well for three plates <laughs> heck no all right no. social media is going to be the death of us all i'm just uh, gonna <laughs> point that out there either way moving forward uh appreciate all you guys uh, jumping in as we had an opportunity to watch spring practice i shouldn't say uh, we got an opportunity to watch about half of spring practice uh eight practices is what everybody got to see i got to see seven i didn't see the jack cone uh all-Star game on Friday night, but you guys all did. And we'll get into all of it uh, as uh, we go through the entirety of what we saw over these over the last month, I guess. And we'll start here. And I think we were kind of talking about it before we came on air. Last year it was pretty obvious who the best player who made the biggest plays and was always making big plays. Last year it was Aaron Cruikshank. Who's your MVP this year? And we'll start with Jason. This was a tough one for me, but I'm, I'm going to go with A.J. Taylor. Um, you know, I, there was there was a lot of candidates, but I think and he, he had a his best practice was was the one you missed, Zach. So uh, he, he was really, I mean, he was beating some of the best corners out there time and time again during that last scrimmage, and um, I, I just think he played really well all all uh, all spring, and you know, I, that's just who I'm going to go with. All right, Jesse. I want to give a shout out to two defensive players. A lot of times we just look at the offense and the big numbers, um, and you're right, it was way more clear cut last year. But for me. Reggie Pearson and Leo Chanel are two guys that I think certainly deserve mention. Whenever there was a monster hit, if you looked up, it was probably Reggie Pearson. And if it wasn't, it was probably Leo. But I think Reggie has just improved tremendously. To me, he's the the number three safety and is good enough to start. But obviously, Scott Nelson and Eric Burrell are are very talented players. So it's him. And Leo is just one of the most impressive physical specimens I've probably ever seen as an early enrollee. And since we're talking about posting bench press numbers, the fact that he <laughs> repped 225 pounds 32 times, I feel like already has reached a certain level of legendary status, but he can back it up on the field. He was making interceptions. He was making big tackles. He had a really nice open field tackle in the Friday scrimmage. So I think that combination of intelligence and playmaking ability is going to get him on the field. I feel like if someone else posts your boast, your, your bench video, that's okay. Well, <laughs> So like John Chanel posts his brother's bench video? I'm okay with that. I He's think proud he of his brother. It. I think Leo posted it himself. I, he did. But you, he still if did it goes it on your own account and someone's holding the phone for you, 
Yeah. I think it's still a boast. But you know what? If I could do two, 25, 32 times, I would put that on social media every day, all day. Yeah, okay. There, there's some would, kind of threshold where it's okay. Okay. If it's all that right. impressive. All I don't right. know if Jake's 315 is. I don't think it is. Um, but I'm impressed with it. it, it yeah. Thanks, it's very, very impressive. And nobody cares. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Jake. Jesse, Leo Chanel, it wasn't just like the big hits, it was the, the interceptions. It yeah. felt like he had one almost every time, especially in the scrimmages. He was kind of like Graham Mertz's uh, kryptonite. Arch nemesis. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I know that the first couple practices that we had a chance to watch, there was a scenario where Graham got the team down right outside the red zone. It was like third down at the 24-yard line, and Leo picked him off and returned it for what would have been a touchdown, and it wasn't the only time that he recorded an interception. And, and I, I talked to Leo and John after the last spring practice. And I mean, I'm sure it's probably, it's going to be one of those storylines that like Jonathan Taylor ran track in high school and didn't have enough top end speed. And Joel Stave is a musician. And, but the, the competitive nature that those two guys have and the way they push each other is insane. I feel like those two guys are just going to be absolute studs for this program for the next three, four years. Yeah. Jake, your MVP. Uh, I think, yeah, I was th- thinking Leo Chanel, you know, I think even, Maybe towards the end, I think established himself Jack Cohn with uh, the two Friday practices. I thought he threw the best that he's that he had thrown in the spring. All the reps that he had, from what it looked like, were first team reps, and you know he's also shown like a hint of the leadership. Uh, he stepped up in that regard in terms of that quarterback room, and you know Judd By- but, uh, John Budmeyer, the position coach, raved about just his approach heading into winter conditioning, winter ball, and you saw that uh, during these you know the eight seven to eight practices that we saw. Um, you know, this spring. So, and I thought, you know, we talked about it uh, a little bit previously when you foreshadowed it. Cohen had a great day on Friday. He could th- drive the ball downfield. He had some help with it from AJ Taylor. Uh, but he also made, you know, some good throws and some good checkdowns to Garrett Groshek for a couple touchdowns in that final spring practice. And I, I think uh, it showed that, you know, going into fall camp, I mean, he's my choice to be, of course, getting the first team reps, probably first up uh, heading into fall camp. I must have missed a lot on Friday. <laughs> you picked a you bad did. one to miss. Yeah. Because I would not have picked him as the MVP. He was that good on Friday? He was pretty he was good. good. I mean, right. I didn't pick him as MVP, but, you okay. know, I, he was, yeah, he was really good. All right. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just saying yeah. that he must have been amazing that day for, for to me, you to, me, he for you to consider. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, for that, I mean. And then, I'm not disagreeing with you. Right. I'm just saying he must have been amazing. Right. And like you, I mean, I missed the Tuesday practice. I missed one, pra- one of the open practices, but uh, last Tuesday, but. I thought that on you know the past two Friday scrimmages that he had, I thought he he played really he threw the ball really well. He led the team down the field, so we'll we'll see what comes of it. Obviously, but we will, and we're going to be talking about the quarterback competition a little bit. So we'll get into that a little bit more. Uh, John, who did you, who did you have? I, I also had AJ Taylor. Um, the the thing that stood out with him to me is you know the Badgers are going to need somebody of their wide receiver group to really step up and be an established. Um, you know, threat who can go down the field or catch uh, balls over the middle of the field. And, you know, no matter who the quarterback is, I think you want to have somebody that they feel like they have a chemistry with. And so seeing him connect with Jack Cohn a couple times on, on Friday and uh, the, the previous Friday practice before, and then also getting in some reps with the other quarterbacks, I, I feel like he kind of took a step up uh, in his game. And I think that's a good thing to have, uh, especially since the, the quarterback position is kind of up in the air. And with uh, Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor being kind of in and out of the uh, the, the lineup, just for injury issues, just to have somebody to go through spring with those guys when they're getting those reps and trying to establish themselves, I think that'll pay off in the long term. One more quick thing on on Taylor, too, is just that I didn't mention earlier, is just that I don't remember seeing him have a drop this spring. I may be wrong on on that, but that's been one of his biggest problems, and I think he did a pretty good job of 
not doing that this spring. Yeah. He had a pretty good spring last year, too, because I think he, it was him and Kirkshank because they were pretty much the only two healthy guys out there at yeah. that point. Um, but, yeah, no, AJ, if time has flown, man, that he's already a senior, that he's already... I know. Yeah, it's only his senior year. Uh, it'll be interesting. Those, again... The spring was a lot more wide open in terms of who was at the top of that list in terms of MVP, but uh, all really good choices. We'll go a little bit uh, fill in the blank. My biggest question coming out of spring is, Jason? I considered a few here, but I went, can this team rush the passer? That was my my biggest thing. And, you know, I mean, we've taught this outside linebacker group is one that just doesn't have a lot of experience after Zach Bond. They're going to have to find somebody else that can step up on the other side and and, and and get to the quarterback. I mean, obviously they were hurt with Andrew Van Ginkle's injury last year, but but he's gone completely now. Um, Isaiah Greenman looks like he's a good candidate for that, uh, but we'll have to see. He hasn't really done it yet. And I, and I think, too, that, you know, I expect the defensive line to be better and help more in that area. I'm sure, you know, Garrett Rand is going to be able to be an upgraded from the pass rushing department over over guys like Matt Henningsen and, and Caden Lyles from last year. But we got to remember, too, that he's coming off a, a really major injury, and he's not even 100% back yet. Um, and we haven't really seen him play defensive end either. Uh, so I don't know if we should just assume he's going to come in there and be a world beater right away either. He might need some time. So we do know his dad is a big fan of him at defensive end, though. Yes, right. and I think he'll be. I think he'll be a good defensive end, and I, I think that's a better position for him than nose tackle. But, Much better. Um, but I just, I, I just still don't know. It's still a yeah. big question for me. I, I just don't know if this pass rush is going to suddenly be fixed from last year because it was a big issue last year, and I just, um, I need to see more. You just think about the talent that they've lost from the linebacker group over the last, what, three years, four years? They have, yeah. what, nine linebackers now playing or on NFL rosters right now, uh, including eight alone from the 2015 team. How stacked was that group? But they haven't been able to, when you lose those guys, they haven't necessarily had other guys to plug in. And for a while there, it just felt like, oh, you lose Jack Sitchie, all right, just put Chris Orr in there. You lose an outside linebacker, you lose Joe Shubert, okay, here's TJ Watt, throw him yeah. in there. They haven't been able to. They didn't do that last year. They and they certainly, at least early, we haven't seen any of those guys jump out and, and and be players. But again, it's early, and a lot of them haven't played. As you mentioned, Isaiah Green May is one of them. Jalen Franklin, another one. Maybe even Spencer Lytle. If Christian Bell ever decides, uh, not decides, if he ever is able to, you know, stay on the field and play, yeah. options, but none that have done anything to this point. Jesse. I think that's a good one Jason picked, and I could say something about the backup running back carries or what the offensive guard rotation is going to look like, but I want the sexy storyline, and so I'm going to go with the quarterbacks. My question is, what will the quarterback snaps look like when the coaches obviously have to pare it down in fall camp? And maybe it's as simple as Jack Cohn is our guy. He showed it in the spring. He's got the most experience. But they're going to have to do something because in those first two scrimmages, he only took five of the 33 drives, which was obviously to give the other three guys an opportunity is Graham Mertz going to be able to cut into those snaps? I mean, is he the backup quarterback? I know we're going to get more into this, but but to me, that's the question I want to know. I feel like that's the question that a lot of fans want to know because the quarterback play was what held the offense back last season. You know, you can say the offensive line had too many penalties or the wide receivers didn't get enough separation, all that stuff, but ultimately, to me, it fell on the quarterbacks. They threw way too many interceptions. Obviously, Alex Hornibrook had a big part in that, and Jack was only able to start four games. I think he's a much better quarterback in terms of limiting his mistakes. I mean, he only threw an interception once every 31 passes. It's a smaller sample size. Alex, I think, was once every 18 or so. So did he show enough where he's just automatically the guy, or will we see something different when fall camp arrives? It wasn't just the interception, though. It was the fumbles as well. I mean, he, it was. He, I mean, he had he, a fumble when they were backed up. I think it was was it the Northwestern Northwestern game. He had and a they couple of games. 
I, I would also say I, I sort of feel like there's this assumption that, and maybe I'm wrong, but fans watched what happened last season and just, they just assume that's who Jack Cohn is as a player. And I don't necessarily think that's fair because of the four starts that he had. First of all, none of them were at home. I think those were all difficult spots. Yeah, Northwestern may not be the toughest road environment, but Northwestern went 8-1 and one and ran away with the Big Ten West. And so I think he's, as we've discussed, a more confident player. He's a better leader. And I think he's going to be a better quarterback, but will it be the best quarterback on the roster? Yeah. And again, they were limited reps in the scrimmages. It wasn't like it wasn't just the first. I mean, he throughout it seemed like he would get a couple of he would get some series, and then he'd be done, and the rest of the guys would take the rest of them. But until that Friday scrimmage that that I wasn't there for, he hadn't let a touchdown drive yet. Like that Friday was just, those Fridays were his first touchdown drives, right? I believe that's correct. He might have had one. I can't remember. You might be right though. So yeah. I think, was that the one where there was the fumble at the goal line? Otherwise, he would have led yeah, the touchdown. Perhaps. Pass. But you're right. You're right. Yeah, so, he, right. I mean, it was a big Friday. I don't want to read too much into one practice, but I do think he certainly showed something as that being our last image of him in spring practice. It's yeah. also tough because, you know, unlike some of the other years, we're not seeing every practice. And so sure. we kind of have to keep that in mind as well. John, what do you got? Um I think the the thing that I'm curious about is just what the offensive line is going to look like. What combination do they go with? We I think they have an interesting mix of guys that have some um, positional versatility. They can mix and match, move some guys around. I think um, you know Tyler Biotish did not uh, participate this spring. He was um, recovering from uh, some I think uh, an off season injury or a, a late season uh, thing that they needed to clean up. And so Caden Lyles got all those uh, reps at center. But I feel like you know he's probably going to shift out to probably left guard, I would think, when Biotis steps back in. You know, Cole Van Lannon steps back in at, at left tackle. I kind of want to see you know, who they end up putting at right guard and right tackle just because we saw Logan Bruss get some work at, at both spots. I feel like you know, uh, maybe Bruss is more likely to end up at, uh, at right tackle, and then what do you do at right guard? Do you move um, you know, Jason Erdman up there? The, the coaching staff really seemed to like what uh, David Mormon brought to the table this spring. Um, there's a lot of guys there that uh, you could – see working their way into one of those starting jobs and i mean that depth is a good thing to have especially when you're losing you know um three guys who are you know going off to the nfl and then uh, john Dietzen who uh, retired from uh, from injuries uh in his career in the offseason and so it's going to be a very new look line and i'm curious to see you know what kind of combination that they end up going with i mean this is another one of those things that it's just kind of a good problem to have where you have so many guys that you could kind of mix and match and and put in there and when you have everybody healthy you know that those first couple practices in terms of um, seeing who they roll out there, if they can get that group, you know, consistent reps together with the first team, and hopefully avoid some of those nagging injuries right from the go in, in fall camp, I think that'll you know set them up to have a, a pretty successful season on the offensive line, despite the the level of personnel turnover that they're having to deal with. Jake, what's your biggest question coming out of spring? It's kind of two. Where one is, I think, the biggest question: is who's going to back up Bryson Williams at nose tackle? Still uh, going to Robert had like. He had two sacks on Friday. I think it was consecutive reps that he had those sacks, and that was a nice ending for the redshirt senior walk-on. But can he lock it down, and can he be a viable replacement for Bryson if there is, for Williams, if there is an injury? If he is injured, I mean, obviously Garrett Rand has some experience playing the nose, so what does you know, position coach Anoki Brechterfield and defensive coordinator Jim Leonard do? Do they go, you know, like if there is an injury at you know at that nose tackle position? Also, could those 2019 signees, one of those three, step up? A guy like Gio Paez, who, if you're talking about posting videos, squatted a 550 pounds, uh, you know, squatted 550 550 pounds. So, like, you know, so That's physically, impressive. yeah, he it is impressive, and um, he is maybe physically ready, like Bryson Williams was. 
heading into spring camp last year, but again, he's not also here. So that spring is huge uh, for development as it was for him. Uh, my other question is, what's the depth at tight end? Where after you saw Jake Ferguson out for the last part of practices, you saw Luke Benchwell out as well. You saw Gabe Lloyd step in. I thought he played pretty well. A nice catch from Cone on, on a couple well, a couple practices ago. And J- uh, Jack Ashenbach uh, received a lot of reps with the tight end with the second team with the reserves, which are, which are huge. But if there are injuries to that group again, that goes dangerously thin, especially with Kyle Penniston, you know, in the transfer portal and no longer with the team. Yeah, no, I agree. The Penniston for for all the things you want to say negative about him, whatever you want to say, he would had played a ton of games and would have been um, significant. You know, just to have him on the roster and have that little bit of depth there, it could be one of the two young guys they bring in potentially um, when they get here. We'll see. Uh, moving on, the best unit on the team right now is Jesse. I'm going to go with the cornerbacks. Maybe it's excuse me, the cornerbacks. Okay. Did you think I said the quarterbacks? No, I I couldn't. I, I just I, I didn't hear what you said. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the depth there is is pretty impressive, and sometimes it's hard to tell what's going on in spring practice. But the fact that Rashad Wild Goose started seven games last year and basically spent the entire spring with the second-team defense. I don't know if that's just a message that Jim Leonard is trying to send to him. You know, I went back and looked at what Jim told us reporters and when he was asked about the cornerback rotation, and he, he, he made some comment about that there's a difference between, like, playing in a game and then playing well. And so I, I, I thought, I don't know if that was a reference to any player specifically, but I, I thought that was interesting. But you've got a bunch of guys that all started at least one game, and as Jim has shown before, he's willing to rotate anybody and everybody, it seems like. I mean, there there was, like, on the last practice, for example, the, the first snap of a drive, he had Caesar Williams in, um, and he had uh, Dante Burton in. And then the very next snap, he took Burton out, and he put Fayon Hicks in. And Deron Harrell got plenty of first-team reps. And then with the nickel guys, it could be Burton or Madison Cohn, and, and obviously I mentioned Rashad Wild Goose. So I just feel like there's a lot of talent there, and I think that that's going to be the strength of the defense, I do. There's a lot of talent there. That I think there's no doubt, but wouldn't you feel more comfortable if he was sticking with certain guys? Yeah, I think that's, like I, it, I think like that's it, a fair point, too. Cause, like, cause, it feels like he's looking for the right combination. Yeah. Uh, and maybe they don't have it yet. Yeah. I, but again, it's spring. I also feel like... It's spring. Right. It's a good problem to have, and he did the same thing in fall camp, too, as, as he said then. He did the same thing during the season, too. <laughs> yeah. Some of it, some <laughs> of it was fall not camp to now. Uh, because yeah. he necessarily wanted to, but everybody was hurt. It's been consistent. But, but in the long run, it ultimately got a lot of those guys' experience. Yeah. And so, yeah, I can understand that perspective where, oh, is there cause for concern because you don't have two lockdown guys. But on the other hand, you've got four guys, five guys, six guys that could see the field. And in the event that there are injuries, you don't necessarily think is going to be a big drop-off. Yeah. Jason? Yeah, I think the corners are, might be the deepest group, but I'm going to go running back as the best. I mean, you you start off with you know your number one guy there is the best in the country. That's a pretty good start. Uh, and then I, I'm a pretty big Nakia Watson fan. You know, I haven't seen a whole lot of him still, but I think he can do. I think he's the favorite right now to be your number two sort of Taiwan deal replacement. And they have some other guys like Bradrick Shaw or maybe even Julius Davis when he comes in in the fall that could compete for that spot. And you have. You know, Garrett Groshek proved his worth as a as a passing down back, and even you know Brady Shipper. Um, it didn't look like they had a real backup to Groshek in those situations, and um, I think Shipper could probably fill in there if something happened to Groshek. So I think they they kind of got all their bases covered. Uh, they got the best player in the country at the position, and so I'm, I'm I think running back is is uh, I would put them ahead of every other position. Not a bad place to start with Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, uh, Jake, I'll look, go in the defensive backfield 
going with Jesse's thoughts, but with the safeties. Uh, you saw Eric Burrell and Scott Nelson get a lot of the first-team reps, I think most, if not all, uh, for, for that matter. And Jim Leonard mentioned back in mid-April talking about how he feels like that group's taken big steps. And behind them, you have Pearson, who really had a fantastic spring and, and showed a physicality with some pass breakups, the interceptions, but also Colin Wilder, the Houston transfer, who I think is also a viable backup. And, and I think he'll contribute in some fashion as well, on both defense and on special teams. But I guess my one concern with that group, though, is just the depth. They only had about six healthy safeties, and they had walk-ons, Tyler Mason, John Torchio behind them. So I guess Titus Toler could be... If he can come in and learn the offense, the 2019 signee, that could be a benefit to them. But I think with that too deep, if you're looking just on that, I think safeties really stand out to me. John, what's your best unit on the team right now? I was really impressed with the uh, the inside linebackers this spring. Um, I think you know obviously the the guys that are coming in have some big shoes to fill in uh, uh, T.J. Edwards and Ryan Connolly, who are you know off to pursue their NFL careers. But you know when you can plug in Chris Orr, uh, who very well could have been starting on a whole host of other college teams over the last couple of years. I think that's a that's an excellent start. And then I've been really impressed with uh, Jack Sanborn since he uh, got on campus. He worked his way onto the field uh, at times last year, so he's got that in-game experience already. And he made a couple plays, uh, you know, th- during the spring this year that really kind of stood out to me and you know showed that I think both he and uh, Chris Orr have good instincts for playing the position. And you know, those are as as we kind of focus on. You know the defense um, taking a step forward this year in terms of stopping the run, which was uh, much more of a problem for them last year than it had been in you know the the last couple of years when they were you know one of the best defenses in the country. I think that's a pretty good start. And then you're adding in a guy in uh, Leo Chanel who we were talking about earlier. Um, I know he hasn't played a, a college game yet, but you know if uh, if what we saw in the spring carries over and he doesn't have a huge uh, transition period, that's a uh, that's a pretty good uh, backup piece to have uh, to work with if you had a, an injury or, or something like that. So I think uh, I think Chris Orr and then Jack Sanborn will step in, and I, I don't imagine there is going to be a huge drop-off in terms of uh, the production from that middle part of the defense. Yeah. Very similar to last year, I think a lot of people picked the offensive line. It seemed pretty easy that they were probably the best group coming out of spring. This is kind of all over the place again, <laughs> yeah. which I don't know if that's good or bad. What do Same you think? with the biggest question. I think I made me realize when we were given those answers, there's still a lot of questions on this team, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll close out this segment with this. Uh, the most interesting position battle this fall, and it feels like it's – I think most people probably had the same one, but I'll let Jesse start. I'm guessing a lot of people are going to say something on the offensive line just because they're three guys or four really? guys. No, that's, that's where you're going with that? <laughs> I wasn't going to go there. I was just trying to guess what you guys wanted to say. I think everyone was going to go quarterback, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. uh, if there is a position battle. Is Jesse already calling for Jack Cohn? I'm not, I'm not calling for anything. I just, I, I, Anyway, I want to go with the backup running backs uh, just because... Um, All right, we'll, we'll, we'll go quarterback after he gets done with it. There you go. I, I wanted to be the contrarian here. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Nakia Watson does have the bill that, that fills that Taiwan deal-type role, but he still has to show more consistency and stay healthy. I know he had... He, you know, you can't control whether you have a left shoulder injury, which sidelined him for at least a practice. But what happens when Bradrick Shaw comes back? I mean, he says he's going to be full go when fall camp gets here. And he, he was pretty adamant after that last practice that, I mean, he's he wants to make the most of this season. And he feels like he was kind of a forgotten man, which is understandable. I mean, two years ago, he opened the season as the starting running back. So when he's healthy, he's pretty good. So could he steal that opportunity? Um, and Julius Davis, too. You know, they don't often go and get an in-state running back and offer him a scholarship to play running back. So will one of those guys come in and take the reps? And even though Jonathan Taylor is going to get 300 carries, 
they run the ball an awful lot, so they need a backup running back, and I thought Taiwan was the perfect example of a guy who can come in and spell Jonathan and, and help this offense click. Yeah. Jason. I went with quarterback. All right. Um, I think Jesse may have overthought this a little bit. No, but I get it. I get it. I get Back Jesse's, on track. <laughs> I get Jesse's point, though, that, you know, there's there's a chance we get to fall and these reps don't really change. And sure. Jack's, you know, Jack Cohn is just the number one guy throughout. And it's, does, it, it, it quickly becomes not as interesting as we think it's going to be. Uh, but, I mean, I, I definitely want to see just, I mean, I'm just so curious to see how these reps are divided from the first practice. I mean, uh, like John Budmeyer said, you can't give four guys this amount of reps in the fall when you when you have to start preparing for the season and is Graham Mertz the you know the clear number two from day one is he anywhere close to the reps Cohen is getting um so I I I was really impressed with Graham Mertz in spring I mean I thought Cohen uh performed well as well uh but I'm really curious to see if if Mertz with a a little more time to to kind of learn the playbook and the and the signals over the summer and things like that if he can kind of get the mental side of the game a little more down um if he can challenge Cohen so I'm I'm really Really interested to see that. Right. The spring, they're done with spring practice, but the work doesn't stop. Obviously, yeah. they'll, take, they'll take a month where they don't have to do any you know, football-related activities here, and then they'll come back for, for some workouts you know, in mid-June. But it doesn't stop. Like, Graham Mertz is still going to be going and throwing passes. Jack Tone's going to be – I mean, they're all still going to be working out together and, and getting more and more comfortable with everything around it. And I think the more comfortable Graham Mertz gets, the better he's going to be uh, and potentially present a bigger challenge for Jack Cohn because – I thought the way that they threw the ball, Graham Mertz has the best ball of the, of the four quarterbacks. Um, maybe not the maybe not the biggest arm. I think maybe that would go to Chase Wolf, uh, but Graham has the has the best accuracy, I think, by far. And um, we'll see if it all comes together. But Jake, is quarterback also your? Yeah, I mean that was going to be my number one. Obviously, who gets the reps uh, on that note? Um, I guess one note, if we want to be a little bit different with that, is I'm interested in it cost the team a win, especially against BYU, but the Kicking game? Who's going to be place kicker? You have Colin Larsh, you have Zach Hintz. And I, feel, so, I feel like the uh, linebackers not being able to track a jet sweep cost. Yeah, that, that, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> that, that, fair, yeah. uh, obviously, definitely. Ahead, but sorry. no, but I was just going to say with with you know Rafael Gaglianoni yeah. missing that field goal at the end of the game, which obviously, as you mentioned, there is so much more that went into that game. But uh, he was ten of seventeen last year, uh, and even that miss against Minnesota kind of started the just the snowball effect of, of them losing the axe. But I feel that, I mean, it's a big position and they need points on the board. I think, you know, depending on any new quarterback in, and by new, I mean, returning like long-term fans would hope, or the team would hope that way. You need to get as many points as you can on the board and having Colin Larsh, a former walk on, you know, he looked good. Uh, I thought the last practice he may have missed a couple, if I'm not mistaken. And so, but then Zach Kins came on and he's got the bigger leg. You saw that against Northwestern, even though he missed that 62 yarder last season. I think that's crucial just to put points on the board. So, uh, that. Big, you're a big fan of putting points on the board. Yes. All right. Gotcha. That, that wins games. Yep. John, what do you think? I think it's, uh, it's quarterback. All right. Um, the, the thing that I think sets it up to be an interesting, interesting fall camp for them is that, you know, you ended, um, spring with all four guys, you know, getting some pretty consistent reps. I don't feel like, I mean, apart from the final Friday practice, and maybe maybe that was a big, you know, uh, a growth moment for Jack Cohen. And again, like I like I said before, we're not seeing all these practices, so it's hard to you know draw a ton of conclusions. But in the pre, the practices that we saw before, I didn't feel like anybody had really grabbed a hold and made themselves out to be the obvious you know choice or uh, showing that they were really uh feeling more comfortable and you know showing that they had what it took to be the starting quarterback but at the very least i think we saw enough moments 
from guys like specifically Graham Mertz, but then I think there were times where uh, Chase Wolf looked impressive too, um, and Danny Vandenboom also at, at times here and there. Uh, so we, I think we've set ourselves up through spring camp for an interesting fall, um, just because I think the goal for, if you were looking for somebody other than Jack Cohn to start games, you wanted to see um, some uh, the guys get a little more comfortable in the offense, get consistent reps, and then show that they you know, were kind of taking steps forward and putting themselves in a position to compete in the fall. And I think we saw that. And so, I mean, it, that that's just what it comes down to is we'll see you know, uh, what the coaching staff thought of it when fall camp starts. And I mean, if it's, if Jack Cohn is the only one getting first team reps, then, you know, and, you know, he doesn't look like he's regressed or anything like that, then he could very well run away with it. But, you know, it, at the very least in the spring, I think we saw what we needed to see to set up an interesting quarterback battle. I think we have to go back to 2016 and start looking at uh, the rep counts between Alex Hornibrook <laughs> and Bart Houston, just to give us an idea. I don't, I don't remember. Do you guys remember? Like I don't either. Were they, were they like Bart was? Were they getting? Yeah. Were they each getting? I feel like it was. If I remember, reps? I believe it was pretty equal from the start, but I, I don't yeah. can't say that for sure. But it felt like Bart was always the first one up too. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um. I don't know. I think that I'm gonna have to go back and look at that. I thought that uh, that may give us an idea. That competition may give us an idea if this one is actually going to be a competition or not. So and Hornybrook was a redshirt freshman then, which is a little different than a true freshman. He was. So. He was. And. Jack Cohn has more experience than, at least game experience, than yes. Bart Houston had at that time, sure. too. So, Jesse, we'll start with you with this. Sold or not sold, Graham Mertz going to start at least four games this fall, which means he would also be able to, assuming he didn't play in any other games, we'd be able to hold on to his red shirt. I'm not sold on this right now. I'm, I'm kind of on the fence on this. Because... I should have put one game. Can yeah, we switch one to one game? <laughs> Willie, you, 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 I'm going to switch to one game. Graham Mertz will start at least one game this year. me for a loop. Ooh. <laughs> sold? <laughs> how's that for a convincing argument I very mean, I, good i'm on the fence about this because you, you guys in the last segment laid out all the reasons why this has the potential to be a really interesting fall camp i think based purely on potential and who has the highest ceiling there's no question it's graham mertz the very first practice that we saw he drops in a perfect 50 yard touchdown to aaron krug shank and skeleton drills down the left sideline and i realize skeleton drills are just that it, it it probably doesn't mean much but it was that first wow moment and I think he can make any throw on the field. We saw it. The, the eight-yard touchdown pass between two defenders to Garrett Groshek was another one of those wow moments. And even in the last practice, he dropped in. It was a 37-yard pass down the right sideline, one of those big A.J. Taylor catches, in the only spot where Taylor could get it. And at the same time, I just felt like he still looked like a freshman, making mistakes. And, and that's probably what you ex- expect, but... There were interception issues, and and you know Bud Meyer made an interesting point too, where yeah he was able to make these great moves Im- improvisation out of the pocket, but at the same time Bud Meyer said that there are some of those throws where he he doesn't have to make them because he actually has more time in the pocket. So to me, I think there's still a learning curve for him, and I, I don't know. I it, this is a hard one for me to project because if you start him at least one game, then what does that say about whether he's going to retain that red shirt because you can play in up to four games. And if, if he's good enough to start, then how many starts does he get? Yeah. The thing that stood out to me about what Bud Meyer was talking about with him, and there were there's a lot there, but it was the idea that he doesn't have to think when he throws. Mm-hmm. Like there's not a whole lot of issues mechanically there where he can just rip it. And to me that sounds like a guy who, as soon as he gets the plays and just feeling comfortable, watch out. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And that, that's why this is such a hard one to to project because it's all there. It's just how long will it take for that to come together and will it be better than what Jack Cohn can provide? Yeah. Jason? I'm going to go with not sold. Um, I, I think Jack Cohn is obviously the clear leader to start right now. And, and until I see Mertz catch up and 
as far as rep count and, and fall camp, I, I'm going to have to believe that, that Cone is going to be able to hang on at least, uh, at least more likely than not. Um, so, I mean, but the thing is with, if it's one game, I mean, if Cone is injured, um, you know, for, for a game, he could definitely start in that sense, but I'm not going to, you know, predict that, I guess. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I think Mertz certainly has a chance to, to win the starting job. Um, regardless of what the reps were like in the, in the spring, um, I think he definitely has the talent to do it like Jesse, um, like Jesse said. And, but, but as of right now, I'm, I'm still going to stick with Cone. And I think that unless he's injured, um, for a game, then I don't think Mertz is going to start a game. I think, I think they might, you know, work him into some, uh, you know, maybe work him into some, some garbage time later in the year if he hasn't played uh, to get him up to that four games, get him a little bit of experience if he if he hasn't played. Um, but I, as far as starting a game, I'm going to go not sold right now. Jake? I'll go not not sold for the same reasons you guys. All right, well, said we'll move on up. then. Uh, John, what do you think? I'm just, uh, I'll come back to you. Yeah, this is tough. Uh, I had not sold when we were thinking four. But one? But one. I'll, say, you, I'll say sold. There you go. Um, I mean, with, with the chances somebody gets hurt, Sure. I mean, like, I, I think at this point he would be the guy to start a game if, you know, Jack Cohn were not available or something. So, and we saw that, I mean, the Badgers had had a pretty good um, streak of quarterbacks being healthy over the last couple of years or so. I mean, guys had been you know, generally making their um, starts until, you know, Hornerbrook uh, missed out on a couple of games last year. And so, you know, if it's one game, sure, let's say, let's say that he does it. All right. Fantastic. Anybody? Uh, so, Three not sold and one sold. All right. I think I said I was sold. For one, one question game? Mark. One game. Oh, one game. Did you say I'm, one game? Wait, one game. I'm not sold on four, but four, I'll be sold, sold on one, one game. Probably for all the reasons later. Right. And Jake, were you sold on? We were talking one game. I was not sold Jake on four. Jake and I four. were not sold. I was sold on, not sold on four. What are you on one? <sighs> Gosh. Right now, I, right now, I'm not sold just due to the fact that I think Chase Wolf, and I've, I've said this on, on the site, I think he's arguably the most dynamic because of that mobility and his arm strength. Now it's a matter of his decision making and when to take off, when to throw that type of pass. So I, as much as Graham Mertz, I think has the biggest potential to go somewhere, I think Chase Wolf actually has an ability to, I, I think he's got the tool set that can be really dynamic in that type of offense and, and keeping defenses honest. Now, can he put it all together? That's going to be the big question. Uh, but I think that's why I'm more not sold. But, I mean, I, do, I also feel like, obviously, Mertz could come in guns blazing and, and light up fall camp as well. So you're all over. I'm all over, but right now I'll say not sold. All right. The thing that makes this different for me is the redshirt rule. I mean, like, yeah, just yeah. being able to play yeah. in you know up to four games and retain the red shirt it makes it much more likely i think for a true freshman to be able to come in and play yeah. and so somebody like Mertz who comes in and looks generally pretty comfortable for a guy that would, you know should be still in high school at this point in time uh, i think that's a, a point in his favor yeah unless jack cone turns into like i say russell wilson but scott tolzine like one of the you know if he's an upper level big 10 starter i don't see there's any way that graham Mertz doesn't start at least a game this year well one more thing I'll say on this is I think Cone, if he wins a starting job, will be good enough to not be pulled. Really? Um, I do think that. I, I don't know, man. Some of the mistakes that, again, as Jesse said earlier, we can't expect to see the same Jack Cone this year uh, after what he did last year. But I'm not going to say constant mistakes, but there were significant mistakes every game he played. And to, to just assume those are going to go away because he played in four games now, I don't know. Then again, I mean, how bad did Bart Houston play to get to get pulled? That's true. I mean, he I wasn't mean, bad. He wasn't well, horrible by any stretch. They struggled yeah. against Georgia State that day, and that's why you know they tried something else. But like Graham, I mean, uh, Bart wasn't horrible by any stretch. Yeah, I mean, I think if 
And that's a good point. They they will have a probably better number two option than they did last year. So that probably changes things as well. The number two option this Grand year Mertz. will be better than okay than Jack Cohn last year? Potentially. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, Jonathan Taylor will break the NCAA record for career rushing yards. Sold or not sold? Jason. I'm going to go not sold. How many uh, yards is it? I'm not even 100% sure. I, I can't remember the exact number. 2080, if my math is correct. Is really? That, that's what he would need to break Donnell Pumphrey? Is 2080? That... I think it's like 2300. Is it? I think I... I uh, Someone get a calculator. It's like 2234. That, that sounds, sounds right. That sounds yeah. right. 2230. Um, or 35. Because 2080, so. I would say, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm, but it was like, it would, it, if he breaks it, it'll be the highest mark of his career. I, and it won't even be the real record. Not that we're going to get started on that, but uh, go ahead, Jason. I'm going not sold. Um, I'm still a little bit unsure of just how good this offensive line is going to be. I think they're going to be good, but I think we don't want to underestimate how difficult it is to replace four starters, three of which are going to potentially be in the NFL next year. Um, so I, I, I think there's still little question marks there. Uh, and, and maybe spoiler alert for, for later in the podcast, I don't think I'm going to pick them to win the West, which would be one less game if they don't make it to the Big Ten title game makes it a little bit more difficult. Didn't need it um, last year. Well, he didn't get 22, 30. Yeah, 21 something? Sure. But, you know, I, like I said, I don't think the line's going to be quite as good. Um, maybe the passing game improves and that helps him out a little bit. Uh, but I'm just going to go, I think he just gets a little bit under. I just, I can't, I'm not going to predict 22, 38 or whatever it is. Jesse? What, what, what was the number again? I think 2,234 or 35. I, I'm I'm not sold. Then. Were you I, sold at 2080? I was because okay. <laughs> he's averaged 2085.5 the last yeah. two seasons, but he averaged 7.1 yards per carry last season. So my question would be, what more could he possibly do to get to that mark? And obviously, playing in a 14th game would be beneficial. Yeah, but so I, I don't I don't think he's going to quite get there. But he's if he's healthy, he's going to carry 300-plus times. He led the FBS last season in carries, 307, and he had 299 as a freshman. So, What was what, what did Melvin average when he, in, his, in 2014? He was like 7.5, something like that? It was definitely insane. Yeah. It's, it's not out of the realm of possibility, and the fact we're even having this discussion about a guy who's going to be three years into his career, he could be the NCAA record holder, speaks to how ridiculously good he's been. I just don't know... Yeah, he's going to have to average seven and a half yards per carry, and and as as Jason laid out, it's it's a little bit different offensive line. Maybe they pass more, which takes away some opportunities. I don't know. So I, I'm going to go just under, but two thousand yards seems reasonable. I just think it would be hilarious for him to do it in three years to pass the guy who doesn't really own the record. So he'll be the he'll be the NCAA's all time rushing leader, but he won't be Wisconsin's all time leading rusher. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's crazy. That'd be that'd be fun, uh, Jake. What do you got? Yeah. Uh, not sold. Or not sold. Not sold. Just the the line. I think Jason alluded to it earlier. Uh, I think the line with the changes, and even Joe Rudolph mentioned back in mid April that he doesn't know if you know, he's still unsure if they can reach that level. That's a pretty good level, though. Yeah, it was a, a yeah, it was a great level, and you saw just the you know the accolades that they received last season. But for right now, I think and just but the defense is going to be stacked up against uh, eight nine in the box likely. Uh, granted, it didn't stop them last year, but. I just I don't know I'm maybe I'm still skeptical about the passing attack and and whatnot but if Cone can pass like he did at towards the end of the camp I think that's a solid sign but for now I'll still say not sold. Well, he was the MVP of Springs. So he you was. better be hoping that he turns it on. Oh, he was. Uh, John, uh, sold or not sold? I say uh, not sold, but he gets close. Yeah. Um, the uh, to I think he averaged seven point one last year yards per carry to yep. uh, with his same number of carries. 
he would need to average 7.2, I think, to get up to that um, the the amount that he needs to break the record. Um, that's not crazy. Um, nope. I mean, he would have to have a lot of things go right. I mean, the 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 offensive line concerns, you know, uh, question mark uh, that that definitely plays a role. Although I also think he last year, I think we saw fewer big explosive runs from him than we did in his freshman year. I have to, uh, yeah, no, maybe that's right. just a feeling. No, but, no, that's accurate. So, I mean, like if you, you sprinkle in a couple more of those, you know, per game, he plays a full season. I mean, it's, it's possible. I think, uh, it's a little bit too much of a stretch, but I, I think he'll get close. We'll see. Maybe he'll get another three overtime game to, to pad that, yeah, a, that, pad helps. that a little bit. Um, we'll see. I, I, I definitely want it to happen just for the visual aspect of it. Sold or not sold, Wisconsin's offense will score more points than this season than it did last season. They averaged 29.7 points per game last year. Jason, what do you say? I'm going to go sold, even though that Purdue game maybe skewed it a little bit for last year. But um, I, I think the passing game is going to be better, whether it is Cohen or Mertz in there. Um, they had so many issues at the quarterback position last year. And I, I'm still not sure exactly you know, how good the quarterback spot's going to be, but I do think it's going to be better than last year, and that, 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 that'll help out the whole offense. You know, I, I mentioned we still have some questions about the offensive line, uh, but I do think it's still going to be a really good run-blocking line, and um, with, with the passing game being able to kind of help help out that running game a little bit, I think they'll, you know, the schedule's tough, but I think they'll still be able to get there. Jesse? I'm sold also. I, I Like Jason, I think, first of all, the quarterback play, in my mind, can't be worse. I mean, they gave away so many possessions with with interceptions and there were a lot of things that went wrong for as good as we thought that offense was going to be, but you've got the best running back in the country. You've got two of the best offensive linemen at their positions in the country, and your top six players in terms of receptions made last year are all back. As we learned last season, that doesn't guarantee that you're going to be better than you were, but I, I think they will be, and the schedule's tough, so that's that's one thing to keep in mind. Those are some really tough defenses. Those three crossover games, the Michigan State, Michigan-Ohio State, will probably significantly reduce your your points per game average, but I, I ultimately think they'll be a better offense and average more points. Jake? Yeah, I'm sold. John? Uh, yes. the I, I looked this up. Uh, six of their nine previous seasons, they have scored more than what they scored last year. Um, and I think they can get back up there. So that, that would just be 29.7 points per game. I think they can do it. All right, flipping the other side of the ball, Wisconsin's defense going to hold opponents to fewer points this season than it did last season. They gave up... Uh, 22.6 points per game. Uh, They were outside of the top 20 for the first time since 2010. Jake, sold or not sold? I'm sold. I think that last year you saw a lot of injuries at the defensive line position. I mean, Garrett Rand returning. If he can stay healthy, if that line stays healthy, uh, along with just how the outside linebackers – Zach Bond, I think, is a breakout candidate for this year. I thought he knocked off a lot of rust in 2018. Uh, if they can find, you know, you saw Noah Burks and Isaiah Green May get reps with Mon, whether it's been nickel like with Green May and Burks at, in, in the base scheme, I think those are two contenders right there. Um, but I, I feel that the secondary two, both at safety and cornerback, they're emerging. And then inside linebackers, I don't really have an issue with them with Orr and then Sanborn uh, coming on and then also like Leo Chanel, Mike Mascalunas behind them. So I think there's more experience back there. It will be interesting, as Jesse pointed out, with those crossover games, especially Michigan with that new offense that's going to be more from what sounds like RPO-based compared to what Harbaugh's run in the past, uh, but also Ohio State and and what Justin Fields can bring with the Buckeyes offense. But for now, I I am sold that they will hold teams underneath that threshold. Jason? 
I'm going sold. Uh, a little easier for me to say sold on this one than the offense, I think. Um, like Jake mentioned, there's just so many injuries last year. The defensive line was, uh, um, you know, challenged with their personnel a little bit, just how, how they got the freshmen they had to throw in there. Um, yeah, the cornerbacks were all completely inexperienced. They took a while to kind of settle in, I feel like. Um, so even though you're losing a lot of key players like Connolly and Edwards and Dakota Dixon and Sangapolu, um, I, I just think that I, I expect them to be better, uh, just a better unit overall than last year. Now they still, you know, a couple injuries in the wrong places and, you know, you could have some problems again, but I, I'm going to go with, you know, sold on the fact that they'll allow less points. John. Yeah, I'm sold. Uh, I think the, the injuries mean that uh, last year was more of an aberration. I, I don't think that they get back to, you know, the the heights that they were at where they were, you know, allowing like 13 or 12 points a game uh, and like having a top 10 defense. But I think they can get back to being like a top 25 group. Jesse. I'm also sold. They were 34th in the country last year in scoring defense, which really isn't that terrible. Uh, but I, I feel like it was like a touchdown more than it was from what we'd seen all those previous seasons. So. A lot of points. It is so, but somewhere, somewhere in there, they'll be they'll be better. Maybe not a touchdown better, but the, they'll be better than thirty fourth in the country. All right. Uh, so we just saw the NFL draft. Uh, four Wisconsin guys go. It was not um, perhaps as many as maybe some of us thought it would be. Uh, Bo Benchall goes undrafted. T.J. Edwards goes undrafted. At least they ended up uh, signing free agent deals. Dakota Dixon has to go to a bunch of trials to try and get a job. I haven't heard anything about Olive Songapolu. Uh, or Xander Neville. Uh, Taiwan Deal apparently has a workout with the Redskins. So I think we thought there was a ton of talent, uh, NFL talent on this team last year. It turned out maybe not. Maybe we were uh, a little bit overboard in that. But best pro prospect currently on the roster, whether it's a senior or freshman or whoever it is. Jesse, who do you think it is? I'll keep it short, and I'll pick Cole, Cole Van Landen or Tyler Biotich. I feel like those guys are going to be... Which one? <laughs> well, Biotich is... Like absolute an absolute first round pick, I feel like this this coming season. I, either of those guys to me are going to be if they're healthy guys that play on the offensive line for a decade plus. But I mean, I've seen Jonathan Taylor as a first round pick as well. So I don't know if I could pick just one. And, and That's didn't. your favorite answer, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jason. Well, this was a really tough call for me, but I actually did pick one. Oh, good um, job, like I was supposed to. No. Congratulations. That's um, good. I, I went, follow directions. <laughs> I went with Biotic. Um, I just feel like he can he can move so well. Uh, you've seen what he can do when they when they pull him out uh, and and let him be a lead blocker for for Jonathan Taylor. And um, yeah, I just think he can be a mauler in the run game too. He, he can handle most double teams. I, I think he's just kind of the complete package as a center. Um, I think with Taylor, you know, Taylor was probably my. Probably my number two choice, but I just think his his lack of of pass catching ability and you know the fact that he's not going to be able to at least right now it doesn't look like he's going to be able to be a third down back at the next level. Maybe that probably knocks him down a peg. I don't know if he's uh, maybe he's potentially a second round pick because of that. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. But well, I'm going to go with Biotic. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Melvin Gordon at this time, you know, heading into his junior year, not much of a pass catcher either, and nobody thought really highly of him, and he didn't end up catching a whole ton of passes as a as a junior either and still managed to go in the first round i I think the difference with taylor and guys like gordon and and Corey clement who also had sort of some questions because dari was the third down back is i I think at least from our perspective we saw in practice that that gordon and clement were were capable of doing that they just had other options that they would rather play in passing situations um and i i always viewed clement as a really good pass protector and you know in practice you could on on those one-on-one pass rushing jealousy always did a good job um, I'm just not sold that Taylor can um, can actually do the job. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's a difference between 
you know, those two and, and Taylor, but we'll see, you know, he's, he's been working on a lot. Maybe, he'll, maybe he can improve by the time next April comes around. Yeah. We'll see. Jake. I'll be Oddish, I think. Yeah. I mean, you, there's respect already from those draft pundits and, but I know, you know, granted, let me say like you saw that with Edwards and Dieter and Benchwall last year. It's not even that. It's the yeah. fact that they gave him a comeback to school grade. Like right. he wasn't a first round pick yeah. this year. He wasn't a second round pick this year. Yeah. But no, I, I just, I think he anchors that line. I, you, I know you saw the pro football focus grades on him, but uh, for those well, that like that. was the highest graded yeah. run blocker in the country. Right. No, all right. Yeah. Touche. Uh, but I will, <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, I, I think Biotish anchors a line and I, I think he comes, I think he is the best prospect right now. Yeah. I think Van Lannan, Jesse, is, is the second out there, but I, sure. and I think Taylor's right there, you know, to be or, or, you know, the third option there for the best prospect. The thing that's interesting though, they're all underclassmen. Uh, you know, and that's the thing. That's one thing. Even a guy like Jake Ferguson at tight end uh, could be an option. I think maybe he has one more year, but if he can improve his run blocking, uh, but they're all underclassmen. I I would really like to talk to the guys who graded him at the College of Hydro Committee because I, I thought he was awesome this year, and I, I was really surprised by the comeback to school grade. I would be interested to see kind of what they feel like he he was lacking in. Yeah. John? I, I agree with Jason. I think it's biotish. Um, I just I don't really have any... Um, Nits to pick in his right. game. I think right. he's been really good. All right. Uh, moving on, toughest game on the schedule, Jason? I'm going at Ohio State. Um, you know, s- some people think that, you know, with, with the new coach coming in, you know, they don't – maybe this won't be the, the Ohio State we're used to, but I still think they're going to be a top team and to having to play that team on the road. I think it's I think it's by far the toughest game on the schedule. Yeah. Jesse, same? Hands down. They've lost four straight there, and I realize it's been different classes in different years, but they haven't actually won at Ohio State since 2004. And they're going to be a top 10 team. I mean, Ohio State is like Stuart Mandel from The Athletic does his early top 25. He's got them at number eight. And I think that's a pretty good spot for them. I'll say this. I mean, at least it's not right at the beginning of the year. Like the Michigan game, you're still not going to sure, really sure who Wisconsin is at that point, I think. You know, it being in September, it being the third game, you know, they, they play two non-conference games and then they get right into conference play. At least you'll have a little bit of an idea of who they are by the time they go to Ohio State. But I think the difference is Michigan's at home. I mean, it, to me... Playing on the road in college football makes it's, it oh, it's, exponentially not, more challenging. Oh, I'm not saying it's an easy like I'm not saying it's Michigan game is harder than the Ohio State game. All I'm saying is they have a little bit of a they'll kind of know who they are and they'll have a little bit of an idea of who they are by that time they have to go there as opposed to having to you know if that Ohio State game was September 21st that might be even more difficult than it would be if it is you know where it is uh, on the schedule. Jake, Ohio State, Ohio State, John, Ohio State. They've always been the measuring stick. Yeah, for sure. Big Ten West favorite. Last year, Wisconsin. I think I changed the question this year because it was who could challenge Wisconsin as the Big Ten favorite. Not going to do that this year because obviously Wisconsin <laughs> did not win the Big Ten West last year. So uh, who is the Big Ten West favorite, uh, Jason? I think there are a lot of candidates for this, but I'm, I'm going to go with Nebraska. Um, they of won, course you will. They won four of their last. <laughs> what does that mean? You're a big, you're big uh, blue blood guy. Am I? Well, <laughs> you went to Alabama. You're a big blue blood guy. We all know. We all know. You know how you think about certain programs, and I like you think about Nebraska really high. You think about Wisconsin a little bit lower. I get. I, we all understand. Well, I, th- that I thought they were going to be terrible last year. So, um, you know, I, they won four of the. I know they won four of their last six games after that horrid start. Um, the schedule breaks pretty well for them. They do have to play. Um, they do have to play Ohio State, but the other two crossovers are are easier opponents. They avoid Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State. Um, they get um, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Northwestern all at home. Uh, so I think that's I think I think it's going to be a close race. And when you have you know the schedule breaks like that, I think that's a really big 
um, advantage. I think this could be one of those races where the, the winner has three losses and, and it's just about tiebreakers. But I, I'm I'm going to go with Nebraska. I think I think I set them to improve a lot after the the finish they had last season. Um, and I think uh, you look at you know I think a lot of times you see you see a jump in some coaches second years at programs that we've seen that before. And I think that that'll happen to an extent with with Scott Frost this year for sure, Jesse. So that's. Not with Nebraska, but I'm with Jason in that I feel like this is such a wide open division with a lot of talent that a guy, a team could go six and three and win the West because of tiebreakers. And and for that, well, I don't think Wisconsin is the favorite. I wouldn't be surprised if they somehow found a way to win the West, even though they've got a really difficult schedule. I mean, initially, initially I thought like I would I would pick Iowa, but they've got crossover games with Michigan and Penn State, and they've got to come to Madison. To me, there's legitimately five or six teams that could win the West and then there's Illinois. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I know you hate it when I hedge. I'm sorry, but you've done this like three times already today. I'm not going to let you do it on this one too. Then pick I'll a, take a favorite. Then I'll take Wisconsin. All right, good. Homer. Uh, Jake? <laughs> <laughs> this was extremely tough and I was looking at rosters and every team like has, uh, you look at some of the spring football roundups from other sites and there's just so much with roster changes. Northwestern loses its you know quarterback in Clayton Thorson, even though they have a five-star and a former five-star quarterback in Hunter Johnson, they have answers. They have questions to answer in the secondary and offensive line and their super back for that matter. So, and just how the offense coordinator, there will use them, uh, you know, Nebraska still they're still going through changes there which uh, and then on top of that Iowa is missing on some of their secondary and the, the defensive players that that really stood out last year as well um I'm, and those tight ends yeah those tight ends yeah absolutely yeah those tight ends as well uh so it's a right now uh, to me I, I've been thinking long and hard I think it's either Nebraska or you know no I won't do that to you Zach you know what I'm gonna do this do it <laughs> it's not hard man it's it's not Pick, right. pick a team. I'm not going right to. I'm not going to hold you to it. Right now, I'll say I'll go with Jason. I'll go with Nebraska, just right. based off of that. However, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm moving take- on to oh. you. you. You got your got. Yeah. You got Nebraska in there. All right, you got it. I'll be quick. Uh, Wisconsin, but I think there's like four teams that have like a maybe a, at least a twenty percent chance to win the division. My, my sleeper. T- the thing I like, I like see about your math on that. The like, well, <laughs> I don't have time to go through the math. I, I was told there would be no math involved. Um, <laughs> The the thing I like about Wisconsin is they have Jonathan Taylor. Um, uh, I think that all the games that you want, to, uh, aside from Ohio State, the games you want to have at home, they have at home. Next year, they get Northwestern, Iowa, and Purdue all at home. Um, the team that I think is my sleeper team is Purdue. Uh, they a, a lot of the teams the Big Ten West get some of the heavy hitters from the Big Ten East next year. Purdue only gets Penn State. I think Good. I think six teams have about a thirty percent chance. Of <laughs> It all adds up. <laughs> yeah. It does. It sounds like it. Could, um, could I bring one qu- one question for you? What do we make of Minnesota? They bring back Tyler Johnson. I know they lose Blake Cashman, but they're on a hot streak towards the end of the year, too. Have they stopped carrying the axe, axe everywhere they go? Probably not. All right. So are they getting – I don't know. What do we make of Minnesota? I think they have a sh- – I think they yeah. are better than – I don't think they're as good as they showed against Wisconsin <laughs> in that game. Yeah. I don't think Wisconsin yeah. uh, was ready for whatever right. reason. The thing to watch out for, I think, is their their defense. I think after they made their switch at defensive uh, coordinator, um, I think they really took a, a step forward there. They ran like two plays against Wisconsin, essentially like slant, and uh, <laughs> yep. uh, I mean, and, and Wisconsin just had no answer for it, which I think it is what it is. That's in the past. I, I, I think Minnesota yeah. will be outside of Illinois. I don't think there's a patsy in the Big Ten West anymore. You know what I mean? Like I don't think there's an easy easy game that you're gonna even Illinois. Illinois started to pick it up on the recruiting trail. It may not be. This coming year, but the year after, 
potentially. But I don't know. We'll see. Way too early season predictions. Jesse, what do you got for a record? Nine and three, six and three in the Big Ten, and enough to squeeze into the title game on a tiebreaker. And for all of us, hopefully a warm weather bowl destination. <laughs> <laughs> Which is all that matters as opposed to having to sit in the cold in New York. Uh, Jason? I've been going back and forth between 8-4 and four, nine and 9-3, but I, I'm going to go 9-3. and three. You know, I, 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 I think it's between 8-4 and 9-3 and three right now. Um, I think I'll have to kind of see how some of these things work out in fall camp. But, um, you know, I, I think with losses to Michigan, Ohio State, and then at Nebraska, um, I think they'll finish 9-3. and three. Jake? I'll go 8-4. and four. I just – there you have those – Michigan, you have Ohio State – Nebraska is going to be tough in Lincoln. I think those are three, but I also feel there's going to be one other game somewhere in between where South Florida could be. Hey, I mean, they have a new offensive coordinator coming in that uh, and whatnot there, but it's also going to be hot down there. And we don't know. I mean, obviously it's going to be hot in August when they practice, but there's a different level of humidity being a former Florida resident and working in two days in high school that I know that it's completely different down there. So I think somewhere eight and four for sure. I mean, they have Michigan State them. too, you know. So, yeah. I mean, it's a tough schedule. It is. No, it definitely yeah. is. Uh, John? 9-3, and 6-3 and three in the Big Ten with your three losses to the Big Ten East. All right. Well, fantastic. Guys, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Time for squats. Let's go. You've been listening to The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.